Hey, this is Ashlyn, former co-host of the Top 10 Recovery Podcast, The Betrayed, The Addicted, and The Expert. I have had my challenges, but I am also living proof that joy is possible, even when life does not go as planned. I'm excited to share with you real examples of living a life full of adventure, true healing, and freedom, no matter how messy life gets. Each episode, I will introduce you to someone I love and respect to talk about ways to be the buffalo and to face your storms in different areas of life. Can porn negatively impact individuals, relationships, and society? We are going to talk about that with my friend Garrett from Fight the New Drug and a little bit about him and his own story and why he is such a big advocate and educator on this subject. It's a little, uh, most people wouldn't choose this. <laughs> so, um, right. I can understand a little bit of, of, of that odd path. Um, because I have a little bit of my own odd path and here I am. So Garrett challenged himself uh, years ago to run 30 marathons in 30 days. And then he rode his bike 3,800 miles across the United States all to raise awareness on the harms of pornography. I remember seeing that video before I even knew Garrett. So if you remember that video around the internet, I'm sure it went viral. Um, no, it didn't. What? Not really. Just, just a little <laughs> bit, but like, that was the goal. Like, honestly, I wanted it to, because I wanted to help as many people as possible, but That's I mean, it, there were some people that knew about it and that was okay. good. <laughs> I think you're being modest. Okay. Um, since he has confronted his own battle with pornography, Garrett is dedicated to the fight to educate others. And now he is one of the fight the new drugs presenters and has spoken to nearly 200 audiences around the globe about the harmful effects of porn. He has since become the host of fight the new drugs podcast consider before consuming and fight the new drug is a non-religious and non-legislative organization. Just for those who are not familiar with it, or maybe you have your own beliefs about what the organization is and what it isn't. So I invited Garrett here because one, um, if you know me from the betrayed, the addicted and the expert, that podcast, when I, uh, recorded that with my former spouse and, um, my friend, the expert Brandon Patrick, I had, I started out the podcast just like someone was saying the other day, you sounded so different then than you do now. Mm -hmm. And I have morphed. We grow and we change as we age and expand. And yet here I am very different than I was, you know, seven years ago, but I still believe the same things with pornography for me and how they have impacted me as an individual in my relationships and the world around me. And so that's why you're here today. I get a lot of people asking, okay, now that you've left religion, what are your beliefs on porn? Now that you've left a partner who used porn and consumed it secretly, what are your views? So we're going to talk a little bit about just the facts about pornography so that people can consider before consuming. So, right. Yeah. Garrett, that's the goal. <laughs> can you tell us just a little bit about who you are and how you even got into this world? Yeah. Um, my name is Garrett Johnson. My height is six. <laughs> I'm not going to get into those specifics, but who am I? Well, I'm married and I, we have three kids and they're great. We also have two goats. So I guess technically <laughs> we have five kids, right? Um, True. We just got also some chickens, which I'm really pumped about. It's a new journey for us. We have eight chickens and my buddy and I built a coop and so that's been fun but they haven't produced yet so once they start producing then it'll be really fun awesome um, but yeah who am i i don't know i just i'm trying to figure that out no just joking <laughs> i think i i know who i am and um yeah i'm uh, in regards to like occupation or job and those core beliefs that i have or who makes who am i i work with fight the new drug i've been working with fight the new drug since 2016 and there's a reason why I work with Fight the New Drug. And you mentioned that it's kind of odd to go down the path of like, why would someone choose to be a, a host of a podcast that talks specifically about the harmful effects of pornography? Um, there's a reason why I, I work here. And the reason why is because I used to be your typical porn consumer. And so I can really relate to the people who, who say 
you know, there's no problem with it. It's harmless. And um, I, I once held those perspectives. At least I thought I did on the, the surface level. Um, but going deeper, I think I knew that there were harmful effects to consider. So that's why I work with Fight the New Drugs still today. It's been many years and uh, I feel grateful to work with Fight the New Drug, but also just grateful to Fight the New Drug exists. Mm -hmm. Because like you mentioned, Ashlyn, I'm a different person today um, compared to who I was, you know, that during that time in 2016. Um, and prior to that, we have a running joke in our office. It's the new second, new you. It's like, we're always changing and it's a running joke. It's kind of joke. Like it's just supposed to be funny. New second, new, <laughs> new second, new me, but <laughs> it's true um, though. Every day I'm like, okay, this is me today. Yeah. I mean, the, the reality is, is that our brains because of getting all technical, but because of neuroplasticity, every second of every day matters. Um, how we frame things, how our, our perception of things, those things matter on, on the daily. So I guess in reality, it's true. Um, but yeah, it's a running joke. But yeah, I'm different today. And one of the reasons why, because of fight the new drug, um, a big reason why I, yeah. I feel like I'm a better version of myself today, um, being porn free than I was several years ago, um, consuming pornography. And I just want to give a shout out to the founders of fight the new drug, because, you know, I don't know where I'd be without the founders. So, yeah. So can I just, before we even start into this whole thing, um, some people who've been with me for a long time. know I made this video. I don't even know how long it's been, maybe seven years ago, maybe longer. And it did go viral. It was my experience with betrayal and the, the trauma that that brings. And it did include pornography and affairs. Um, and then the path to healing and being able to understand that, okay, I can, I can heal my heart. I can find all these things. So Fight the new drug. Well, when I shared that and and the therapy office that I go to at a recovery shared that, I got a lot of uh, positive response and support and it kind of blew my mind. I didn't know what to expect. Um, when Fight the New Drug shared my story, it was kind of a lot. Um a I lot wasn't in a negative way. In an in a negative way. I wasn't prepared for how how much um you know, it's a big organization. It's talking about something that is pretty divisive. And there was a lot of hate and, and towards me saying, oh, wow. why would you stay with someone? Um, you're so stupid. Uh, I wasn't prepared for that. Oh, and wow. so it was an interesting awakening for me that like, oh, I had no idea that people had such different beliefs which sounds so naive, but yes, I was very naive. Um, I didn't understand that people could see the good and that they couldn't just see the bad like me. Like, right. It hasn't it affected your experience your life? was your experience and <laughs> totally. your negative, your experience was very negative. And so I think that's why you held that perspective. That makes sense. Yeah. So that's I just want to say, first of all, can I interrupt you? Yeah. just want to say like, there is no room for, for hate. Um, in it really in any movement, specifically in this movement for that is a movement dedicated to true, meaningful connection, true love. There's no, there's no room for hate. So I just want to apologize on behalf of our followers who, I don't know if it was our followers exactly, but the people sure who engaged and, and were <laughs> judging, um, you know, they say when one finger's pointed at another person, there's fingers pointed back. So they probably had some self-discovery to do. And uh, I hope they got that done. So. For sure. Yeah. And it's so from, and I, yeah, no fault to fight the new drug. Obviously I understand now that people show up on social media in a weird space sometimes. So, yeah. um, I have seen fight the new drug morph over the years. And one of my favorite things has been the documentary that mm. you guys produced that gives people the opportunity to really educate themselves and their families. Yeah. on all of this. So let's start that discussion of how porn can affect me as an individual. Yeah. Okay. So in regards to the documentary, the goal was to create a documentary. I wasn't part of this at all. So I can brag about it and not feel like <laughs> I'm, you know, like boosting myself up. Um, but it took five years to produce this documentary. 
And the goal of Fight the New Drug as a collective, the team was like, how do we produce a documentary that's going to be educational, but it also has to be fun and it also has to be um, engaging and it can't be too dark, but it also has to touch on some dark aspects like, like the realities of the harmful effects of pornography. So that I think are just common knowledge. Um, we had to touch on those in the documentary. Uh, and it was a challenge to do that. It took us, we thought it would take like a year or two. It took us five years to, to do that documentary. And so I do, I do want to plug the URL, brainheartworld.org, if anyone's interested in watching it and finding out for yourself um, if it's good or not. I, I, I say that it is. That it's, really, it's a really good documentary. They, get, they did a great job. Um, I agree. And I was but, not a part of it either. <laughs> we can both <laughs> brag about it. But <laughs> uh, your question was, how does porn impact negatively impact the individual? So yes. we acknowledge our bias up front. Like it's right in our mission statement. The mission statement of Fight the New Drug is that we are a non-religious and non-legislative organization that exists to provide individuals with the opportunity to make an informed decision uh, regarding pornography. And the way we do that is using science, facts, and personal accounts. So we, we speak to the harmful effects of pornography. Um, we acknowledge that bias. There are definitely negative effects. Um, and how does it impact the individual? Well, why are people consuming porn? I guess that's like the question to start with is why do people turn to pornography? If they're experiencing the negative effects of pornography, why are they turning to it in the first place? And one way that I like to explain that is that there's this famous psychologist and his name is Edward Thorndike. And Edward Thorndike, he came up with this rule. It's like called the Edward Thorndike's law of effect, which states that if something, a behavior or a substance has a satisfying response, even if that satisfying response is like temporary or short, short term, um, it's very likely that the person will return to that behavior or to that substance in the future. And so I think that speaks to the fact that people perceive that interactions with pornography or pornography consumption has um, short term, they perceive it as short term benefits. Um, that's what I would say the majority of people who are pro pornography, I would say that that's safe to say that they experience short term benefits from the from consuming pornography. So if that's why people turn to it, it's, it's a, it can be a coping mechanism. There's multiple reasons why a person might turn to pornography is, well, how does it impact the individual? Um, well, I mean, there's so many ways to go about this conversation. Like how does it impact the individual? I guess we can talk about how it impacts the individual on like, a um, yeah, on an individual, like their brain. Right. Um, in regards to the brain, we, it goes without saying, but like say it anyway, like the brain's complex. And, but one thing that we know about the brain for sure is that we we are hardwired for connection. Like the very few people feel comfortable in complete isolation. I don't know if that exists, like a person that wants complete isolation. We want connection. We well, want- think of quarantine. I think yeah. we, all, we all came out of that like, oh, I definitely need people. Right. And yeah, there's, there's negative effects of isolation. And when we're talking about porn consumption, I think it's safe to say that the majority of porn consumption that occurs is in isolation. And so I think that because we're hardwired for connection, I think that's one reason why people turn to porn in the first place is because we're hardwired, hardwired for connection. Like it's no surprise um, why people turn to pornography, but when they do, when an individual turns to pornography, they are, let's say in this specific example, let's say that this person is in an romantic, like exclusive relationship. So when a person turns away from their spouse and turns to pornography, they're looking for some type of, whether it's like connection or escapism, when they do that, they're turning away from intimate interaction. They're turning away from opportunities to connect on a, on a deeper level. So I think that on the most basic level, if we're hardwired for connection and porn fuels isolation in most cases, then I think that's simple that like, of course, there are going to be some negative effects, especially as that becomes a more escalating behavior. Yeah. See, and that makes sense to me. It's my lens and the, the way I've viewed the world has been that experience where uh, 
and my former partner shares his own story of, of his recovery from that world. So this is nothing new for those who may be new here with me. Um, but it was always done in isolation in, in that instance and secret. And it was interesting how the secrets impacted me oh, and yeah. that disconnect. It was, um, I always said, and a lot of the girls who I get to work with and mentor say, it's not even the act. It's not even what they're doing. Mm. It's the secrets. It's that, right. that hiding and it's the disconnect. It's, it's almost the, like it's, if it, in regards to porn, they're like almost neutral about their perspective of porn, but like the secrets are what got them. Yeah. The secrecy. And so, and that's, what's interesting is, you know, I have women that I get to work with from around the world who have very different beliefs and values. And yet here we are together saying this hurts. Yeah. And, you know, I have a gal who used to be part of that industry mm -hmm. who's saying it hurts when my partner does this mm. and it doesn't make sense to the average person saying, how can it hurt you if you were part and yeah. in creating this world? That's interesting. It is. interesting. So she, she was, she's okay with like, in her, from her perspective, if I'm understanding this correct, is that she was okay with pornography. At um, one she just time. wasn't at one time, <laughs> but she just wasn't okay with it within her exclusive relationship. Yeah. She, she like, realized does... the impact. Like she stepped away from that world yeah. and said, I, I don't want to be a part of this industry. Right. This is hurting me. And then got into a relationship where it, it affected her as an individual yeah. and it like blew up her world. And so it was, it was fascinating to me to see someone who was so different. Her background was so different than mine. And yeah. yet our pain was so similar and yeah. we could love each other. It, it just, to me was like, this is it. Right. This is a perfect example of, yeah, it hurts. Right. Well, yeah, it makes sense because when we're talking about like, how does porn escalate? One of the ways is like, one of the ways to bring about like novelty and to fight desensitization that can happen within the individual is like seeking out like like the secrecy can add mm -hmm. to that excitement yeah in the reward pathway and so i think that yeah people often turn to secrecy about their porn consumption as a way of like increasing the spike in the reward pathway and then when the partner finds out and research shows that a lot of women in this particular study aren't aware of how much and what types of pornography are being consumed by their partner. The, that's one of the biggest, uh, biggest takeaways or biggest findings in regards to pornography or research on pornography consumption is that there is a significant gap between male and female, um, like perception of pornography and personal oh. use of pornography. And again, going back, like many, according to this research, many women aren't aware about how much and what types of pornography are being consumed. And so when they find out, just like you experienced, Ashlyn, is that when they find these things out, of course, it can be, it can be very tough for the individual who finally finds out the truth. Because, you know, feelings of rejection, anger, betrayal, all of these feelings come to the surface, and you thought you knew the partner, mm -hmm. right? And once you find out the truth, it's like, you have to stay, take a step back and start. You, I think one thing, like I, I think that I've experienced certain levels of that. My, my spouse doesn't consume pornography and never has. So I've never experienced that, but I've experienced betrayal. And when that happens, uh, you start to second guess, like, okay, what else is that person lying about? Mm -hmm. Yeah. hundred percent. So uh, we're moving into the relationship portion of this and just naturally, which is great. Uh, because it does affect those people around us. So it's one of those, you know, it's cliche, but we think that it's our world, our little bubble and what we do doesn't matter. And yet here we are saying my actions do affect the people in my household, the people that I interact with. Um, I believe it affects our energy and I'm and, a big believer. Like if I'm yeah. around you and your energy and it's in a dark place, I'm going to feel that. Yeah. And I really do think it like it really has to do with the individual because um, let me think about this. So there's something called the humanistic perspective in psychology. And it says that to, to reach 
the best version of yourself to become the best version of yourself, you need three things. And those three, those three things are genuineness, acceptance, and empathy. Mm. And so when we aren't engaging in genuine genuineness, acceptance, and empathy, then we are currently not the best version of ourselves. Mm. And so I think when it comes to porn consumption and secrecy, you're first, you're not being genuine. And secondly, you're not accepting yourself or allowing other people to accept you. So like just on a literal level, like you're, because you are not becoming the best version of yourself or you are not um, in, in a state that you're like at your ideal authentic self, Mm -hmm. um, it negatively impacts your relationships. Of course it does. Like that just makes sense. If you're not in a good spot, of course, it's going to negatively impact you. And it's really interesting because, um, in, in my relationship for those two decades where there was that on and off use and consumption of porn from my partner, it was a woman's intuition. I could feel that disconnect and I could feel that something was off. Yeah. And so when you say that, yeah, he wasn't in his best self and he knows that. Um, but the shame kept him just stuck in that, like you're, this is who you are and you can't change. Right. And you know, he, he would always say, I couldn't even look you in the eyes. Oof, that's tough. Yeah. I mean, because it, it was that reflection of, I was longing, like what's going on. Something is off. And yeah. I didn't know what it was. And I didn't know the right questions to ask. And your and former so, partner's not here. So he doesn't have a, a chance to speak. But I would, I would guess, yeah. like, if he can't look at you in the eye, then I would guess that he also didn't feel comfortable looking at himself in the mirror, like in the For eye. Because, sure. you know, I've, I've been there. And I think that's a typical place. If, if you have secrets, yeah. I think it's a, it's a common thing. Like, you, yeah, you, it makes sense. Yeah. And, um, I, I will speak for him right now. He can't yeah. look me in the eye. <laughs> we are, Good. we are co-parents and we Good. get along great. Um, uh, we're, we're in it. We're living our authentic and genuine lives right now, but yeah. separately. Yeah. Um, so oh, man, it's just, I even look at it with kids and parents, kids and friends, like the moment they start into that world, relationships are disrupted. And that's, I think the best version or word for me is disruption. Yeah. Uh, because I can go off that feeling and that vibration and say, Ooh, things feel really good. I feel connected. Yeah. Um, I'm happy. And then something disrupts it and it's yeah. an immediate disconnect. And I may not know what it is, but I can feel it. And um, it's really interesting now not being married and not having a religious, you know, impact in my world, but I can feel when something is off always. Yeah. And I can trust that. Mm. Um, because I can trust myself. Yeah. It took me a long time to gain that That's trust cool. back because it was, you know, disrupted for so many years. Right. Well, two things, if I can interject, there's a cool quote that your statement reminded me of, and it's by Einstein. And it says that in, and I might butcher this quote, but it says something like intuition is the only real valuable thing. Mm. And I really, that resonates with me. Uh, intuition is really important. It's one of the aspects of how we gain knowledge. It's one of the ways, like one of the sources to knowledge. And so uh, I think you're speaking truth there. Like when it comes to you having intuition about being able to feel if something is on or off. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention was that word disruption. Mm-hmm. Because I also love that word. One of my key, like one of my favorite things is deliberate disruption. Mm-hmm. And I think on my personal story, my personal experience with pornography, I was on a road where I don't know where it would have ended um, if I, if it hadn't been for fight the new drug, because I was consuming porn. I was your typical porn consumer. I was married. I had been married for six years and I was consuming porn in secret. And I didn't think much of it. Like, I, again, I was just a, your typical porn consumer, but the deliberate disruption so when I learned about fight the new drug, when I happened to learn about fight the new drug, I realized that I needed to pivot. And I, I referred to it as deliberate disruption. Like I needed to deliberately disrupt pornography consumption in my own life so that I could be there for myself and be there for Ariel, my wife, and be there for our kids and enjoy as many moments of bliss as possible. 
because that for me is my top priority in life is enjoying moments of bliss and moments of bliss are not free. You have to pay the price. Mm. And so the deliberate disruption was me paying the price for increased moments of bliss. Mm. So anyway, I just love that you talked about the, the word disruption. I love that, that whole perspective, because I would guess and assume maybe I shouldn't that you, by, you know, choosing to consume porn is a disruption. That's maybe mindless disruption. Yeah. yeah? Mindless. I don't know if it's mindless though, because it definitely impacted my mind. (laughs) Yes. But like the choice, the beginning choice maybe is, I know what you're saying. It is a choice. And then we just become, it becomes that habit of consuming. Oh yeah. To escape, like you're saying, and then to stay, I'm going to pivot and deliberately disrupt my life by saying no more. Yeah. I love that. It's a, yeah, disruption from positive to negative, Yeah, negative to positive. Um, Okay. So can I ask a question? Maybe you can ask any question you want. I might deny the answer, but (laughs) you can can ask whatever you want. So I, I do talk about my beliefs, um, on pornography here and there on my social media. Um, and I get some pushback from some of my followers who I love that they feel safe in my space and they disagree with me and, and they're willing to share their, their feelings. And so their disagreements are either I am consuming ethical porn and I feel totally okay with it. Um, or the argument of, I watch it with, there is no secrets. I watch it with my partner. And so where do, where do we fit in there? Where, where we're saying it's not harming my, me as an individual and it's not harming my relationship. Okay. So this is probably a question that requires two answers. Okay. Um, one of the answers is going to be talking to ethical porn and the other one is going to be talking to consuming with the partner. So in regards to ethical porn, like I, I like intuitively want to like put finger quotes up like air quotes and say like ethical porn, because the reality is because of the way that mainstream internet pornography is today, um, it's very challenging to, to know, to guarantee Mm -hmm. that any piece of pornography consumed is consensual and abuse-free. Very challenging to know that the reason why is because um, oftentimes these big porn websites, they rely heavy on user generated content. And because they rely heavy on user generated content, um, oftentimes with these sites, for example, are you okay if I name like one of the top yeah. porn companies, or yeah. I guess platforms that facilitate porn and it's only fans, right? So oftentimes people will point to only fans as like this ethical source of pornography. Mm-hmm. Um, but the reality is the, the laws around OnlyFans is that the user, excuse me, the verified user, like the account owner is the only one that has to be verified in the video. So oh, okay. when we're talking about how easy it is to upload um, underage or abusive non-consensual content, it's very easy because they don't verify the other people in the video. Um, and for me, the way I look at it is like every porn company claims to be ethical until they're Mm. proven not like think about the biggest porn um one of the biggest websites out there is Pornhub and they you know they claim to be ethical because they have to be ethical to fall within the laws of Mm. the United States or Canada or wherever so they claim to be ethical until they're proven not ethical and the reason why I say that is because you can go the reason why I use Pornhub specifically is because you can go and look at articles online. There's an article that was specifically written about Pornhub. It's by Nicholas Kristoff, who is an award-winning journalist. And he exposed, he wrote an expose on Pornhub. The title of the article is The Children of Pornhub. Mm -hmm. And so if you Google The Children of Pornhub, you, I I haven't Googled it for a while. You might want to be careful when you Google that, but I think the top Mm -hmm. result is Nicholas Kristoff's article. And so you can research how pornography Pornhub was profiting off of sex trafficking and um, what is often referred to as child pornography. Mm-hmm. 
So Visa, MasterCard, Discover, when they learned this because of Nicholas Kristof's expose, they all pulled out their processing rights for Pornhub. They said, no, we can no longer process payments on your site because you are a liability. You proved that you are, you, you claim to be ethical until mm -hmm. you weren't. And so they pulled the rights to um, process payments and Pornhub's response. I mean, it's still ongoing because there's, you know, there's lawsuits and things that are happening, but that's the biggest porn site in the world. One of the biggest, and no one really knows the exact numbers, but like, that's one of the biggest porn sites that you go to. So your average mainstream user consumer pornography, they often go to Pornhub mm -hmm. and on, it's very possible that these, some of these consumers, like I was once a typical consumer of pornography. So it's possible that at one point I was consuming material that appeared consensual, but that in reality wasn't. Yeah. And that's the, that's the reality is that it's tough to say it's tough to give like any given piece of content online. It's tough to guarantee that it's ethical and abuse-free. Um, but yeah. Do you want to say anything to that before we move into the next portion of the question? Um, no, I just, when I hear that part, I immediately think of me being a parent and my kids seeing Pornhub, you know, I, we've done so much to protect our kids and educate them. And yet they still have access to everything oh, yeah. and their yeah. friends have access. And so, um, their first experience was with Pornhub and that just blows my mind because of what they saw. Yeah. Um, you can't, so you can't I, I look at it and I think ethical or not, like put yourself in a parent's shoes and your child is seeing something <laughs> like it's heartbreaking yeah. for a child to see some of the, that stuff. So research, side. <laughs> research shows that the average age of first time exposures is 13, according to some mm. studies and, you know, like going off the research and to show like how much underage consumption happens. There's a study that said that like 84% of males that are 14 to 18 have viewed, viewed pornography and like 57%, if I'm remembering those stats correctly, 57% of females have viewed pornography between the age of 14 and 18. And so, you know, that's a lot of underage mm -hmm. um, viewership or consumption from an industry that claims to be adult entertainment. Yeah. Right. Which is so hard. I mean, this is not even in the, the same topic we're talking about, but just the idea that I will say this, my cute little daughter said, you know, I thought you had taught me about porn or uh, sex, but you didn't, you haven't taught me about sex based on what they know now. And I'm like, it's because they taught you what the average sex, what you perceive as healthy, <laughs> like a healthy sexuality yeah. is. I didn't teach you all the other things because that isn't part of what I view healthy sexuality. And so, right. Well, I yeah, think that's disrupts. telling. I mean, I think there's so many ways to take this conversation right now because <laughs> you can go the direction of like, why is why is more porn? Why is there more violent and aggressive porn today than there was a couple de decades ago? You can go that route. Like, why are pornographers having to push the envelope? There's a. I just know that this book's on the shelf. It's this book by Norman Doidge. I don't know if you can see it. There's kind of reflection, but it, it's uh, the brain that changes itself. Okay. Norman Doidge is an author, a big time author and psycho uh, psychologist and um, neuroscientist. And he authored that book, The Brain That Changes Itself. And he talks about neuroplasticity. And so one of the things that he says that came to mind as we're talking about why are pornographers pushing the envelope? He says, the reason why pornographers boast about that i guess the thing that they don't tell you is that they have to push the envelope and the reason why is because they know that their customers are building up a tolerance to the content mm -hmm. so where, wherever there's a need where pornographers see a need or a demand they're going to fill that demand so in a roundabout way i'm not shaming people who consume porn but in a roundabout way consumers of pornography if we're looking to stop and fight exploitation one of the ways to do that is by going to zero consumption of pornography because the porn industry fuels sexual objectification and sexual violence. Um, the other direction we can go in this conversation is like talking about um, like parents, because I think when you, when you hear about your experience, Ashlyn, and you hear about you having 
so many healthy conversations mm-hmm. with your kids. Like ongoing, oh, they know yeah. all the things, right? Yeah. I thought. Right. So you've done a great job of parenting, but even with all of that great parenting, they still, like you can't build a moat around them. Eventually they're going to be exposed to pornography. And yeah. when they are, it's very likely they end up on a, on a site like Pornhub. Um, so I think it's important to talk to, like, uh, if some of your listeners are interested in like, how do we talk to this? How do we talk to our kids about this? I think it's important to note that we have fight the new drug. I already mentioned there's no room for hate. Uh, there's also no room for shame. And so I just want to say, like, we never take like this finger wagging approach to porn consumption. We're not judging, um, you know, the, the typical user of porn. And going back to the parents, like I would highly recommend not taking like this finger wagging approach because it's kind of funny. I had this experience with a buddy, his, um, he had to take his kid to the hospital because he got a marker shoved up his nose. And so they had to go to the hospital and take it out. And like the doctor was talking and saying, well, what happened? Like, why did you do this to the little kid? And his response was because dad told me not to. And so like. <laughs> I just think that that speaks to the curiosity. So like if all we say as parents is don't consume porn, don't consume porn, don't consume porn, that is spiking curiosity. Like just test it. If you have kids, like if you have your own kids, like leave them in a room for a second. And as you leave the room, say you can play with all of the toys except this one. Don't (laughs) don't play with this toy, this specific toy, and then leave the room. It's very probable that one of them, you come back five minutes later and one of them is going to be messing with that toy because you still, because you specifically said not to. And so, yeah, I just want to encourage parents to have healthy conversations. I think that's one thing you do well, Ashlyn is encouraging healthy, healthy conversations because, and they need to be ongoing um, and shame-free because if if not, it's just going to produce. Well, and as a parent who, you know, that has experience, like you can take on the shame too, as the parent of like, wait, I, thought I did my job. I thought I'd been, uh, you know, and it's really like, oh no, I still have that safe space. Mm. They still feel like they can tell me even if it takes a minute. So you created Um, the safe space for them to come and tell you. Yes. So I want parents to hear, even if they do choose they're human and they're surrounded by other humans who may or may not be educated and they're going to make their own choices. And so to still show up and to love them unconditionally, not conditionally, and not take on that shame. Um, and not every person who consumes porn is automatically an addict. And oh, I no. think that's where parents go. It's like, Oh no. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, so that's there, definitely, I'm glad you said that because that's the case. Like experts say that the majority of porn consumers are not addicted. Yeah. So I'm glad you talked to them. Okay. So let's go back. <laughs> I got us off track. The question of, okay, I consume with my partner. There are no secrets. Mm. How is this a bad thing? Mm. Or not a bad yeah. thing. Maybe I shouldn't say that. How is this disruptive? How can it be? How can it be risky or unhealthy? Um, I think one of the easiest or like the go-tos to explain this, if we're wanting your listeners to consider before consuming, mm-hmm. um, there's maybe you're familiar with these people. Maybe you're not. I would imagine you are. So, I'll, but I'll ask you: Are you familiar with the Gottmans, like yes. Julie and John Gottman? Yeah. So. Julian John Gottman for a long time, they didn't speak to pornography, like they didn't, weren't very public about their stance on pornography. Um, pretty recently, they came out and talked to their um, stance. And for the listeners who aren't aware of who the Gottmans are, doctors Julian John Gottman are like the world renowned when it comes to anything relationships. So they, they're all about healthy relationships. So anyway, for a long time, they, they didn't talk to it. Um, recently, they did. And one of the quotes from their open letter on pornography. It states that for many reasons, pornography poses a serious threat to couple intimacy and relationship harmony. And so you can dive into that more to look at the, the negative effects that they talk to and the risks and threats of the couple intimacy and relationship harmony. But going to your question, like, when the lead experts in the world are stating that it can disrupt mm. meaningful relationships and couple intimacy, like we should listen. Um, how does it do that? Well, it does that in a variety of ways. Pornography, the research on pornography shows that consumption can be correlated to an increased level or like an increased acceptance of cheating. 
Mm. Um, so that's, that's one, that's one way. Um, and I think that another concern that I see is we've kind of talked about already is that porn can become an escalating behavior. So what starts off just going back to like Edward Thorndike's love effect mm-hmm. that I mentioned, if something has a satisfying response, it's likely to be repeated in the future. So if a couple experience like a short term, what they perceive as a short term benefit from consuming porn together, then they go and repeat that and repeat that. But then remembering that porn can become an escalating behavior. So what does that look like? Like what is when we say porn can become an escalating behavior? What does that look like? One way to compare this is like, what do other addictions look like when it comes to escalation? So if you think about a person that smokes, we often hear for people that smoke, they say, it all started with one cigarette, and then I was smoking two packs a day. And I think that's common knowledge, like when it comes to substance abuse, like escalation is a hallmark. And then the question is, like, can pornography be an escalating behavior? And what does that look like? So the answer is yes, pornography can become an escalating behavior, although many times it looks different than like just more pornography. Um, So as we're talking about this, like we have to talk about the difference between habituation and desensitization, because let's see if I can stay on track here. So (laughs) as a person consumes pornography, if they see the same thing again and again, the same scene, the typical reaction according to research, is that they become more bored with that Mm. scene, right? So, but with cigarettes, the person just pulls out another cigarette and consumes more and more to get the same high that they once had. But with pornography, it doesn't always work out that way, meaning meaning that you never really hear a porn consumer say, I had to watch that scene five times to get the same level of activity in the reward pathway. So then the question is like, what does that mean? Like, how does porn escalate? And I think it comes down to two things. It comes down to desensitization and novelty. Um, desensitization is a, like a complex process that happens over time with sustained or like repeated abuse. And what that looks like is it's basically your brain, like after your brain becomes desensitized because of excessive dopamine, your brain basically says, even when presented with something new, your brain says, meh, it takes more than that to get my attention. And so that is desensitization. So where do people turn? And then another answer is novelty. How do people fight desensitization? And one of the solutions to fighting desensitization is novelty. And what is novelty? It's also known as like the Coolidge effect. Have you ever heard of the Coolidge Mm -mm. effect? No. So the Coolidge effect states that like it's been proven time and again in a lot of research settings. And the Coolidge effect states that if you take two animals, a male and a female, and you stick them together, like in the same area, then they're going to mate and mate and mate and mate. And then eventually they're going to get bored with each other. And if you take one of them out and replace them with a new partner, then they will all of a sudden have desires to mate again. And so it's the Coolidge effect. It's that they're seeking novelty. And um, some research shows that we are hardwired for novelty. So why is that problematic in the bedroom with your partner? Because as we say that porn can escalate, it's not just that the porn, it's not just that the consumer wants more porn. It's oftentimes that the consumer wants new porn. Mm -hmm. And the reason why that's problematic is because, or why it can be problematic. It's not that this happens to everyone, but the reason why this can be problematic is because it's not uncommon for porn consumers to experience a deviation in their sexual interests. Mm -hmm. And the reason why they deviate is because they are seeking novelty to spike the reward pathway. According to a 2016 study, 47% of respondents in this study found that over time, they began watching porn that once disinterested them or was disgusting to them. Wow, that's high. 47%. And I just want to acknowledge that that doesn't mean that everyone who consumes porn is going to have that experience. According to this study, like if 47% did have that experience, that means 53% did not. So um, it's just a risk that people, you know, as you go into porn consumption w- with your spouse or without your spouse, you run that risk of it escalating in a variety of ways, kind of like we talked about. Yeah. Oh man. Okay. 
Um, let's go to how pornography can affect us as a society. Um, if I'm not consuming it, I'm not participating. How does it still affect me in the world? Ah, this is a good question. Well, we talked earlier about how it's like new second, new me, right? Our brains are always changing. And according to research, a lot of consumption, a lot of porn that appears online, mainstream internet porn is violent and aggressive, um, both physically and verbally. And if I'm remembering correctly, according to this specific study, I'm talking about 97% of the time that aggression and violence is directed at females. And so when it comes to porn consumption, there was a survey and a national survey and six out of every seven women in this survey reported that porn consumption changed men's expectations about how women should look. Mm. So we talked earlier about how porn consumption, oftentimes one of the partners isn't aware about how much and what types of porn are being consumed by their partner. Um, that's problematic because your partner, like as they consume porn, whether you know about it or not, it is because of going back to Norman Doidge, like the pioneer of neuroplasticity, it's changing the individual. Yeah, it's changing their likes, dislikes, interests. And as a consumer goes and, and views violent material, at first they might be disgusted by that violent material um, and aggression within, within porn. But over time, just like that other study mentioned, 47% of the respondents said that they eventually over time started consuming porn that what they once found disgusting or they were disinterested in. And so yeah, how does it affect society? I think it, it shapes porn culture is a real thing. It shapes men's, I mean, I say men's because the research shows that m the majority of porn consumers are men. And I think that, um, I think that it's very important to talk about, but when we're talking about sexual violence, sexual objectification, like porn is fueling domestic abuse. Porn is one of the fuels because in porn, the, the woman is often portrayed as always ready for sex, always down. doesn't matter how much with who they're down. And so I think that oftentimes the consumer can get this entitlement that mm -hmm. they should, when, when they feel like they want it, when they have a biological urge to consume or to, to get off, there's no, no, no other way to put it. The entitlement says, yeah, you're entitled to that. And that's problematic when we're talking about, you know, intimate relationships, because you're not always entitled to that. It takes two and, or, you know, so I think that, um, I, yeah, I think it can really disrupt going back to the word disrupt healthy sex. And I think it can really disrupt healthy intimacy, uh, put sex aside, like, you mentioned, like, I know your former partner, Ashlyn, and I know how awesome he is. Um, but you talked about how it negatively impacted him mm -hmm. and his ability and to, to connect. And it sounds like with himself and with, with you and, you know, other people. So yeah, it's, it's forming uh, false expectations. Have you heard that, that uh, equation that states that happiness equals, um, reality minus expectations. Mm -mm. So I like that. I like it, but I kind of alter it because I disagree with the part. Mm -hmm. This is the part I disagree Which with. And you can tell me if you disagree or not. So I, I change it from happiness equals reality minus expectations to happiness equals reality minus false expectations. <laughs> because we can have expectations. Like it's healthy to have expectations. One of the expectations in an exclusive intimate relationship is that they, they tell the truth. Like we, we have to lean on each other emotionally. Yeah. Right. And so that's a, that's a healthy expectation, but the false expectations are what can really, when going back to going back to the Gottmans, they said that for many reasons, pornography poses a serious threat to couple intimacy and relationship harmony. So again, it's like, yeah, it's for me, it's those spoken agreements. And when we have expectations, they're usually unspoken mm -hmm. and that's how I entered my marriage 
was lots of unspoken expectations. Oh, yeah. And so we both disappointed each other. I say, I say, oh yeah, because I think that's common. Like I think I, most I think, of us are. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to do it different this time around as I date. And there are lots of spoken agreements and expectations being had. And it is so different. Um, I joke that the first year of dating this person, I'm having conversations I didn't have the first six years of my oh, marriage. Yeah. Yeah, because now I'm an adult and now I'm like, no, 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 no. We need to talk about these. Right. <laughs> yeah. You can't just sweep them under the rug. Yeah. Um, yeah. Have you heard the term post-traumatic growth? Yeah. I'm sure you have. Right. Like what you're describing from my perspective is post-traumatic growth. Mm-hmm. And that's the beautiful thing about this, this challenge. And whether you're the consumer or the person on the other side mm-hmm. is that there, there can be post-traumatic growth mm-hmm. and there's a, do you mind if I share a little parable that I just learned and I loved it? Do it. So there's a Buddhist parable and it's the parable of the two arrows and the two arrows that they refer to. The first arrow is the negative experience that we have. It's the trauma, right? That, that one oftentimes is unavoidable. It's just, it's the negative experience. The second arrow is how we perceive that negative experience how we frame it, what we do with that negative experience. And I think that is the beautiful thing about any situation you are in, whether you are the one that's betrayed or the one that the addicted, you know, plug for your, your old podcast um, <laughs> or the therapist. Um, so yeah, the, the, the cool thing is, is that we can become a better version of ourselves. Oftentimes when people experience trauma, they, they fall into like three different categories. The first category would be like they, they experience the trauma and then they get, have like a low and then they mm-hmm. stay at that low. Yeah. Some people are going to have a negative experience, the trauma, they're going to experience a low and then they're going to re- return to where they were before. And then that third group represents post-traumatic growth where they experience the trauma, the negative experience, they perceive it differently maybe they frame it in a different way. They say, how can I utilize this to become a better version of myself? And then they end, like they come out of this negative experience better than they were before. And Ashlyn, like, I know we don't know each other that well, but Mm -hmm. like, that's what I I speculate. That's what's happening with you. And that's what has happened with you is post-traumatic growth. And one of the reasons why I speculate that is because I've experienced that. Like I, I feel, I feel more, more whole, uh, more connected. Um, deeper relationships today than I ever have, you know? Agreed. And, and I think a lot more people are stepping into that as we have access to more resources and education and understanding that we're all traumatized or betrayed in some way and that we can move out of that and we have choices and we can feel empowered to use our voice and to make change. So, um, I really appreciate this conversation and giving opportunities to people to just make the choice before we just jump into something that society has created for us. And um, most of us were not educated, uh, you know, my age group, it definitely were not educated and we didn't have as much access as we do now. And so as a parent, um, and an adult who definitely has access to making these choices. I just, I encourage all of us to keep the conversation going and open with our partners, with our children, with our, the people that we're most connected to, to make sure that we're all, um, on the same page. Right. And, um, as, as a former consumer, can I ask, is there, you know, if our listener has like, okay, I need to have this conversation with my partner, whether I'm on the side of consuming or, you know, I feel like something's off. Yeah. Um, Going back to intuition. Yeah. Where, where would you feel as a once consumer could be a safe space to start if we Mm. haven't had those conversations or maybe they've been (laughs) fiery (laughs) in the past. Yeah. I think that it can be healthy to start small. Um, I've done some trail running and one thing I learned in trail running is that if you can take one step or two steps, take three because like shorter steps conserve your energy more. And so I think the small steps can be really important. So to answer your question, 
like some of the small steps or taking small steps to having more healthy conversations could be rather, maybe rather than like having the conversation face to face, maybe you write a note mm-hmm. for the individual and leave it in a, in a place to find it, or it's a text message or saying, or another way is like prefacing this conversation or preface. What's mm-hmm. word? I don't know. Words are hard sometimes, but um, talking about this up front before the mm-hmm. conversation happens, say, you know, this is going to be difficult for me to talk about. And I don't really need a response from you right now, but this is what I'm feeling, or this is what I'm doing. And, and then say, can we come back? um, Can we come back in 24 hours and talk about it after we process some emotions that can be helpful, but every, every situation is unique. And because of that, it can be challenging to know how to navigate that. Is it okay if I plug one of our tools? One of, of our resources. Yeah. So one of the resources that I'm a big fan of at Fight the New Drug is called the Conversation Blueprint. Mm-hmm. You can find it at ftnd.org forward slash blueprint. And it helps you because you can go to this webpage and it's built by like we collaborated with professionals to build this. It's an interactive tool. So you can say, hey, I'm a spouse. My intuition mm-hmm. tells me that my spouse might be consuming porn or might have a challenge with porn consumption porn consumption. So you click on that and then it's going to navigate you through like, how, how can we handle this? How can you have conversations that are healthy, productive? Um, Cause the research is clear. One thing that's clear about research is that when it, when we're talking about recovery and having healthy conversations is that shame does not help. Um, and so if you are the person betrayed and you're feeling shame, try to acknowledge that mm-hmm. eliminate the shame. There's no room for shame. Uh, if you're the person that's currently in the challenge, if you have shame, eliminate the shame. Like just because you consume porn or just because you've been betrayed doesn't make you a bad person. And so anyway, I kind of forgot where I was going with that, but shame, like you just, <laughs> I think that if we're talking about how do we address this, how do we become healthy versions of yeah. ourselves? We have to eliminate shame. Yeah. And I agree wholeheartedly with that um, because I felt a lot of that as, as the partner, um, like I'm right here, I'm right here in front of you and you're choosing that. What? Yeah. It did not make sense to me. Um, but I didn't know you had that resource. So I love that you guys have a lot of resources. So even just going over to your website, you can find so many resources to educate your family, yourself. Um, you guys have, uh, tools to help people get off that path of consuming as well. Um, so there's just a ton of information out there. Yeah. Um, if you're looking for it. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's the good news is that the, the unfortunate news is that there's a lot of like the internet mainstream internet porn is something that's unlike anything we've seen before in the world because of accessibility, affordability, anonymity, and all those things. But the benefit is that with those unprecedented circumstances comes unprecedented resources. Like there are a lot of resources. Um, like you mentioned, there's just so much. And so if you're wanting help, then eliminate the shame and, and find help. Yeah. And I'm just going to just end with the, the thought of answering the question. I've, I don't have a marriage anymore. I'm not married to someone who, you know, that was the trauma. Um, I get to make my own choices. I'm not part of a religion saying you don't consume porn. Don't do this. I have to make my own choices. Mm-hmm. And, and in reality, we all are doing that, but I don't have like an easy button saying I have a partner telling me not to, I have a religion telling me not to, mm-hmm. I just have me mm-hmm. and me and my choices. Yeah. And for me to step out of those, that world and to say, really, what do I believe? I know a lot of uh, men and women are in this space of saying, or maybe they're still married, but they are not in religion or they're not married and still in religion. They still yeah. don't know what to do. Yeah. Slow down, mm. get educated, but get educated with yourself. And mm. for me, that looked like really diving into what are my core values? What do I believe? Because when someone isn't telling me what to believe, I have to know what I believe and what feels good to my heart and soul. And so for me, it does, it's just doesn't fit into my life. Yeah. As a person, as a person who doesn't belong to a religion, like my wife and I don't belong to a a religion either. And, um, yeah, that's the case. Like, despite all those things, like we have chosen that we do not want porn in our relationship and the, the small experiment that we've done 
like eliminating porn the and it's anecdotal it's just ariel and i but like our experiment is that we are better off today without porn consumption so i like it your experiment yeah <laughs> our own research and experiment <laughs> i love it um thank you for being here and for sharing your own story and for the story of fight the new drug and the work that they are doing and i appreciate it as a person of the world so thank you well ashlyn i'm in your corner fight the new drugs in your corner and uh we just want to say thanks for the opportunity to be here today and thanks for thanks for showing up like this is a genuine thank you i'm not just like ending the conversation and saying like hey thanks ashlyn it's like a genuine thank you thank you ashlyn like you your efforts do make a difference and uh, i think you're moving the needle in a positive way for yourself for your family and for the world so thank you right back at you keep going <laughs> Thanks for being here with me today, whether I was with you doing your dishes while you got ready or driving in your car. If you found a nugget in this episode, please take 30 seconds. You can click on the link below in the show notes and leave me a quick review over on iTunes, or you can share on social media or shoot me an email. It offers me your support without you having to spend a dime or much of your time. Until next time, be the buffalo. Buffalo.